Brought to you by Feitner Productions. From the Unreasonable Doubt Studios, in association with Feitner Productions, this is Laying Down the Law! With your host, Billy DeClerc, and co-hosts, Kristen Drenning and Curtis Rutherford. Featuring a jury of genius jokesmiths and paneled with the help of Publishers Clearinghouse, auditors from the firm of DCH Lottery Management, and selected by random draw from a hermetically sealed mayonnaise jar every Tuesday and Thursday at half past never. Only a madman would bring these people together to construct an entire virtual world of law and order simply to tear it asunder with ruckus laughter. That madman is attorney Billy DeClerc. The result is a podcast blasted to the farthest reaches of the interwebs. That podcast is this one, and it starts right now. Welcome to Laying Down the Law, a comedy podcast hosted by me, the shaken and stirred dirty martini of intoxicating comedy with plenty of legal green olive juice, Billy DeClerc. I'm co-host Kristen Drenning, actual lawyer, storyteller, improviser, improv teacher, and performer in a little college town that grew up named Austin, Texas. And I'm co-co-host Curtis Rutherford, writer, actor, improviser with my improv team Megaplex, the improvised movie, coach and former member of the UCB Herald team Ghost, former member of many other UCB Herald teams, and the host of the Improv Textbook Podcast, Improv Beat by Beat. I'm also the author of Laser Focus on SAT Math. Which doesn't have anything to do with improv, right, Curtis? Um, If you want it to be, I guess you could make it. Improvise your answers and find out what happens on the SAT. <laughs> yeah. Let's welcome back to the pod one of the first guests to join Billy before he realized he needed co-hosts, a comedian, actress, and improviser from the Upright Citizens Brigade, comedy improv podcast, Super Squirrel Conversations, and guide for clueless rich people, Ms. Kathy Eller. Hello, hello. <laughs> welcome back, Kathy. Happy to be back. I know it's been a long time. Uh, uh, so we always have a great time and I am thrilled to have you here today. I'm thrilled that Curtis is back from his uh, hiatus. <laughs> <laughs> is that what they call it these days? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. A yeah. wedding and honeymoon. Yes. <laughs> and Kristen, good to see you as always. But Kathy, for reasons yeah. that are totally unclear to me, there's a hyperlink in your bio to a Wikipedia page that is in no way a random article selected. I'm just wondering, Kathy, why do you have this reference to Giovanni di Cosimo de Medici, the Italian banker and patron of the art, in your in your bio? How does that how does that fit in? Well, um, I taught him how to how um, the best spaghetti in Italy. So he's uh, he he never had a, a meal like the one I showed him. So he he's a, he holds a special place in my heart. <laughs> yes, and also you time traveled to four, the 1400s yeah. in order to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mystical, like, I think there was like a plant or something I touched. Yeah, it was mystical. Yeah. Just in downtown. About burying the lead. Time traveler. Kathy. <laughs> I was to say, if you've tried that spaghetti, you know that's not burying the lead at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, now it's time for a legal battle that comes out of Nebraska from 2013. The uh, lead guitarist and vocalist for a band you might have heard of if you're from Nebraska, the Universe Contest, went all the way to trial defending himself for alleged theft of a slice of pizza. If you go to hearnebraska.org, you can hear the full story, but I'm just going to go ahead and share with you a little bit of this um, legal adventure of Mr. Carr because I just think there's a lot of lessons for all of us in this story. 
begin? Where to begin? Pizza Court. Um, a friend of mine was in town from Atlanta early spring. I just kind of drank all day. We didn't eat any food. And around 10 o'clock at night, it was a Wednesday, we went downtown. And as we walk in to the bar, there's the door guy, big meathead dude. Then there's like a beer cart girl who she's selling beers or whatever. And we're like, oh, sweet. Like, can we have some beers? And they're like, yeah. We're like, well, can we just pay at the bar? She's like, that's totally fine. I'm like, cool. In between the beer cart lady and the bartender is a table that, you know, you sit on like a tall, a tall stool to sit at these kind of tables, like a big round table with an open box of pizza. No sign, no nothing. And I've been to bars and restaurants where you can, they have courtesy pizza for people or, you know, they'll have things of popcorn, you know, and like you, you would think there'd be a big advertisement for it if, if the shit costs money. So I'm like, fuck yeah, free pizza. So I said, we each snagged a piece. There's five of us. We each snagged a piece. No, four of us snagged a piece. And uh, we got up to the bar and the lady's like, hey, you have to pay for those beers and that pizza. We're like, oh shit, sorry, I didn't realize the pizza costs money. Like, how much are they? She's like, a dollar. So we're like, cool, here's $10 for the four slices of pizza. And I figured because we gave her $10, I'm gonna go back and grab another slice of pizza. Because it's, you know, dollar piece, four dollars, we tipped her two and a half times. As I'm like sipping on my beer and taking the first bite out of my second piece of pizza, I get yanked from behind by the guy at the door, the big meathead bouncer dude. I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, just pizza, dude. Like, what? I didn't get it. And he uh, throws me out, and I'm like, can I at least tell my friends? He's like, yeah, that's fine. So I was like, I'll be at Duffy's, fuck this place. Come over there when you're done. Get to Duffy's. As I'm in Duffy's talking to the two door guys, next thing I know, a cop opens the door, like, Tim, you need to come outside. So I went out there, and as soon as I stepped out, I'm like, do you want me to pay for the pizza again? You know, and, the, and the guy who was the bouncer was like, so you didn't steal, that's all I needed to hear. The cop's like, did you steal any pizza? I'm like, no, I didn't steal any pizza. I'm like, it was a dollar. My friend Sarah gave him 10 bucks for four slices. Here's another $2, and I threw $2 at the guy. Like, just write me the ticket, dude. I'm like, just write me the ticket, I'll take the court, we'll deal with it, yada, yada, yada. So he did, he wrote me a ticket for theft of $300 or less. So uh, how do we think Tim's going to do in Pizza Court, folks? Uh, just a little bit of Nebraska uh, legal incident here. $300 ticket for a slice of pizza. Jeez. Oh, my gosh. Also, what is up with that bar for pressing charges? You know? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, that should be like a deliberate misuse of police funds or resources. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Well, the, the police of Nebraska, you know, they're all about the enforcement. <laughs> I mean, any any doorman who's yanking him off of his stool to pull him out at, off of this also feels a little ex-cop like to me. <laughs> like, I feel like this was a, let me let me call my buds back at the precinct. <laughs> yeah. So is that guy famous or was he? A oh, yeah. Haven't you heard of him? Tim Carr? Of the, no. the universe. Contest? Like Ron Weasley to me. That's what I just thought. It was like Ron Weasley meets that. Uh that british singer guy yeah <laughs> i was very distracted by his white eyelashes the I entire know. time <laughs> beautiful <laughs> all right well um just to move things along folks i'm gonna do this at a one and a half times speed to find out about tim carr and pizza court they call the first witness who is beer cart girl she didn't want to be there she didn't give a shit she didn't even remember the situation 
She, the first minute and a half of her being on the stand, she's like, I'm pretty sure he paid for it. And then next thing they called the bar manager. He didn't know the capacity of the bar he manages. He didn't know the address of the bar that he manages. He basically lied. He lied on the stand. And he told him all this bullshit that I came in hammered and he, he shouldn't let me in. But, but he did. He did let me in. Yada, yada, yada. And that he, he politely asked me to leave, which he did. And he just strangled me and threw me out, flexed his nuts. And that back and forth questioning between my public pretender and the prosecuting attorney lasted like another half hour and at this point like 10 minutes into interviewing the first bartenderess the judge is just like oh shit like she she's like fuck this is over a dollar slice of pizza that like she she felt like an idiot like she at that point was like not guilty but she had to sit through all this bullshit because that's what you have to do she asked for it you know <clears throat> so they get dipshit off the stand and they call in officer like shit i'm bad that i know his name but uh, they call him in. He's like, pretty sure Tim paid for it. He's like, he didn't really seem that intoxicated. I was. He was pretty sure that I paid for it and that the actual bartender, when he asked her, said that I paid for it and that I offered to pay for it again and that he didn't really know why any of this was going on either. And uh, then they called him off the stand. That was, another, that was probably like a 15-minute interrogation or whatever you want to call it, cross-defense bullshit. And uh, then it was my turn to go up on the stand. And... By the way, we're there for like a good hour and a half at this point, almost two hours of them cross-examining the witnesses. I get up there and I tell the story in about four and a half minutes. I'm like, no, this is exactly what happened. And I laid it out. Like, you know, we walked in, they didn't have a sign, had pizza, shit, didn't realize we couldn't, we had to pay for pizza, paid for the pizza, got kicked out, offered to pay the pizza again, they wrote me a ticket. I jumped through these hoops a million times, yada, yada, yada. And the, what do they call it, the prosecuting attorney, she goes up to me like, she asked me about two questions and I answered them as honestly as I could. As, you know, and she's like, well, shit. <laughs> she sat down, and then I got off the stand, and then they had to make closing arguments, which is the funniest fucking thing in the world to watch them make closing arguments about a dollar slice of pizza. And mind you, the judge is sitting there the whole time. She's just like, what the fuck? Is, what are we doing? It's such a waste of time. <laughs> we live in a civil society, and when one when one rule is broken, it causes a, a landslide effect. It's domino effect, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, you know, it's funny because uh, pretty much um, this is the reason why I almost never tell people that I'm a lawyer because it always leads to questions, like to stories like this. Wait, do you know about this time that I did this thing? Like, do you do that kind of law? I gotta get your card. The one time I got a fine for, um, for, for admittedly skinny dipping in Lake Michigan, I tried to fight it for myself and I got my fine doubled. So, <laughs> yeah. oh, that does do happen. Well, uh, that's a that's a more current law story out of Nebraska. The uh, outcome, who wants to take a guess? They had to buy him a slice of pizza. They had to buy him two pizzas. <laughs> Believe it or not, he was not convicted. And now. For today's law thing, formerly known as the case of the week. So this is a case that has to do with post-judgment collection in civil cases. The case is Credit Bureau of Broken Bow Inc. versus Moninger, uh, citations 284 Northwest 2nd 855 out of the Nebraska Supreme Court 1979 case. So I like to tell people that uh, if you think of a civil trial really as a play in three acts, you have the initial pre-trial phase of the trial, which lasts a long time. You have the complaint that's filed and discovery and depositions and exchanges of documents and all this prep to get ready for trial. And that's kind of the, unlike a movie script, the first act is really long, the second act is much shorter. The second act is trial. This case concerns 
the third act. The third act is collectability. So one of the phrases you might hear lawyers use um, is someone being quote unquote judgment proof. This means somebody has no assets that you can levy on. So even if you beat them at trial, you're not going to get any money for it because you have to actually go and force them to hand over the money if they don't write you a check. So word to the wise, if you do get sued and you do lose, don't hand over the money right away unless you can settle it or lower it or whatever because sometimes people don't chase it. It does cost money and take time to chase it. So post-judgment collections is an entire area of the law that involves all the different remedies that a judgment creditor, a judgment creditor is someone with a judgment in their favor, can use against a judgment debtor. A judgment debtor is the person who owes money based upon the trial or the case that they lost. And so there can be, um, you know, liens can be placed on, on a lien. If you don't know, a lien is a right to someone's property. So like if you think of a mortgage, a mortgage is a lien on your house. If you have a, a car loan, you have a lien on your car. So if you don't pay your car loan, they'll come and take the car. In this case actually involves a truck. If you don't pay the lien on your truck, they'll come and take your truck. Um, and that's what happened to Moniger. Someone came and took his truck. So this is going to be the story of the Credit Bureau of Broken Bow Inc. versus Moniger and a 1975 Ford pickup truck. So the first thing I need to explain to you, for those of you who don't know, is that this term default judgment. A default judgment is a case where you don't show up and they find against you anyway. So if you get served with a complaint and you just ignore it um, and you just you know throw it in the trash or whatever, don't show up, they will eventually get a default judgment against you. And then the next time you'll hear about it is when they come and try and collect on your assets. It could be your bank accounts. It could be your truck. It could be your house. It could be, um, in some cases, if you have intellectual property, like you have um, uh, you know, that big movie script that you've got uh, royalties coming off of, or uh, you know, you're a song recording artist, um, they can come and, and grab your royalties. So all these different ways that a judgment creditor can come and collect. So another word to the wise, if you get sued, do not ignore it. Show up, go to court, defend yourself. You too can be like Tim Carr and you can beat the rap on your $1 pizza. Who knows if you hadn't shown up, maybe they would have gotten, you know, uh, you know, fine or whatever. I mean, this is it's criminal, not civil. So it's not really a perfect analogy, but you see what I'm saying? Questions about any of that so far? This is all well, like, they don't take animals, right? If you own a farm, they wouldn't take your cows, would they? They just take, they would, <laughs> they would take your cows. If it's they your property it. and it's worth money. Yeah. Oh my God. So there are personal property exemptions. So, uh, so your pet, for example, they're not yeah. going to take your, if you're a cattle farmer, they might take your cattle. Although it depends on what state you're in. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the right of exemption, which has to do with um, protected property that a judgment creditor cannot touch, even if they have a judgment against you. You're a judgment debtor. This is uh, after the case. We'll come back to that. Okay. All right. So we have these terms in mind. We have judgment debtor, judgment creditor, default judgment, lien. Okay. Any questions about any of those terms? We're good. No, I mean, I love Real Housewives. So I've heard of lean before. Like Real Housewives are always not paying their taxes and they're always like they're coming for their cars and stuff. <laughs> yep. They got a lean on it. Uh, uh, you, uh, So Erica Jane. I Erica Jane, yeah. Yeah. So I don't watch the Real Housewives, but Erica Jane was married to a very famous attorney by the name of Tom Girardi, who did the thing you're not supposed to do, which is he stole from his clients. Oh, I mean, it's such a good season. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so you don't, you can't do that. 
Um, I believe there was like some litigation over some of her jewelry. Whether oh yeah, she had these diamond earrings, and she had to prove that they weren't they were a gift from somebody, or she bought them. Yeah, yeah, because if they were from the uh, stolen funds, uh, you know, she would have had to turn them over. So that's a whole thing with tracing. You can it's called fraudulent transfer. If you steal from somebody and then you give it to somebody else, somebody else could be liable for fraudulent transfer. That's a post-judgment collection. So, you know, the uh, the old, oh, uh, I have a big judgment. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to de uh, deed my house over to my brother-in-law, you know, who doesn't have a judgment. Uh, well, then the brother-in-law can get sued for fraudulent transfer because they're, taking, because they're taking an asset with knowledge of the debt. So the Credit Bureau of Broken Bow sued John Moninger and they obtained a default judgment on October 20th 1977. The default judgment was in the amount of $1,518.27. What is that in today's dollars? Ooh, if only there was a calculator for this kind of thing. <laughs> $1,518.27 in 1977. Today is worth dun 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 uh, $7,618.23. Oh my gosh. So uh, not a huge judgment. You can see why Moninger wasn't uh, super worried about um, chasing it down. It's a $7,000 judgment. It's enough to get your attention, sure. Yeah. So Moninger had a, a loan with Broken Bow State Bank. So we have two creditors here. You have the Credit Bureau of Broken Bow, who sued John Moninger on a loan, probably on a loan that he didn't repay of $1,518.27, and they got a judgment. So they became a judgment creditor, the Credit Bureau of Broken Bow, Inc. Broken Bow State Bank was not a judgment creditor. They had a lien, okay? So Broken Bow State Bank had loaned $2,144.74, which is, in today's dollars, $10,759.07. So <clears throat> this was what's called a secured loan, meaning that they took a lien on some of his property in case he didn't repay it. They could enforce their rights to the property without filing a lawsuit. So if you think about the classic example being a mortgage foreclosure that most people would be familiar with, a mortgage foreclosure, you don't pay your mortgage, they will eventually come and take your house. Mm -hmm. You don't pay your car loan, they will come and take your car or repossess your car. That's without filing a lawsuit because it's a lien. It's a lien that you agreed to. So you create a security interest in the property that you own so that the bank can, um, can come and get it without, without having to go to a lawsuit. And you would do that if you want the money. That would be the reason to do it. So Moninger, who had to have known about this judgment, he had to. Right? The judgment was October 20th, 1977. And on May 16th, 1978, he's like, you know what I think I need to do? I think I need to uh, re-up this loan I have with the bank. Yeah. The monitor may not have had a lot of money, but he, he may not have had a lot of dollars, but he sure had some sense. <laughs> but, I so, know, like in 77, they weren't getting like tons of junk mail or anything like that. Like when they were getting mail, it was important, you know? Right, <laughs> yeah. Well, and Moninger probably knew that he hadn't paid back the uh, Credit Bureau of Broken Bow. Mm -hmm. And uh, he may have gotten notice even of the judgment. So he you know, asked somebody and they said, you better 
lean up your assets. Can't blame, you know, today's day. You can't believe, blame like, oh, it was in my email. Uh-uh, it was in the mail. Yeah. It was in, the mail. It was in that little silver tin thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's called a mailbox. <laughs> mailbox. <laughs> um, so the note was secured by his feeder pigs and a 1975 Ford pickup truck. They would take those pigs. Oh, mm -hmm. his pigs. Mm -hmm. So the bank really here um, made a mistake because they didn't get a security agreement right at that time in May of 1978. He had already borrowed the money and he, he entered into a new security agreement. So the rule that applies here is uh, a phrase that you might hear, first in time is first in right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what that means is if you're the first person with a lien, you have the first right to the property. So oh. this, this entire case is which, which um, creditor, the Credit Bureau of Broken Bow, the judgment creditor, or Broken Bow State Bank, the lien holder was first in time, first in right on this 1975 Ford pickup truck. This really feels like maybe just a little bit of a little bit of talk at the water cooler could have prevented yes. this entire thing. Like if any arm of Broken Bow had talked to the other, like, hey, are you also giving uh, this guy manager a lot of money? Yeah. Oh, maybe we should stop doing that from each of our different uh, departments. Mm -hmm. Well, it's important to it's important to observe here that um, that the bank is really Broken Bow State Bank is really trying to screw over the credit bureau of Broken Bow because they had already lent the two thousand one hundred forty four dollars and seventy four cents to John Moniger. They just entered into a security agreement, most likely because they knew about this judgment, and so they were just trying to beat them to the punch. So the bureau requested something called a writ of execution on its judgment. And so for those of you who are doing vocabulary or taking tests for continuing education credit, that's going to be a term you want, writ of execution, which is a fancy word of saying a piece of paper that says you can take it. So writ means it's a piece of paper and execution means the power to execute, to take action against an asset. So you, what happens is if you're a judgment creditor, you go to the court and you request a writ of execution. So the court issues a writ of execution on June 27th, 1978, after he renewed the note. So the note being the, the promise to repay, but they hadn't entered a security agreement in favor of Broken Bow State Bank. And apparently there was some payment on the judgment because the amount of the writ of execution was $1,338.50. Remember that the judgment had been 1518 and 27 cents. So apparently he had paid about $200 towards this judgment at some point in time. Probably this chain of events has another thing going on that he, he may have written a check and they said, here's $200. And they said, well, it's not going to quite do it. <laughs> so yeah. he entered in. So he renewed this note with the bank and now the credit bureau is, has filed this writ of execution to try to also like, Oh, we, maybe we think something's going to happen. So we got to get this money now. Yeah. They wanted to collect on their judgment. And okay. so they, they took action. They may or may not have, um, well, actually no. they did know. And I, I'm actually, that's an important fact. They, the bank did know about the judgment. And so that, that does come, that fact does come into play. So the writ of execution basically is a piece of paper that gives the, the judgment creditor, the power to seize assets and sell them at an auction. So uh, if you ever seen the paper like repossessed car auctions, those are 
assets that have been seized either by law enforcement or by civil judgment creditors, and they're being sold so that the money can repay either a judgment or in the case of crimes, restitution. So that's what these auctions are, is that they, the, the property's been taken from the debtor. So the sheriff gets the writ of execution. And what happens in this process is after the judgment, after the writ of execution, you can either, in California, you can either hire a professional process server to serve a writ of execution, or you can hire the sheriff. People like to use the sheriff because, you know, it's the sheriff. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the sheriff's department here in the county of L.A. has an entire civil process server division. So they wear like they don't wear like the uniforms and all the all the, you know, guns and stuff. They wear like the little vests, like the little like mm -hmm. the, vests or the little jackets, just as sheriff civil civil unit. Mm -hmm. And they go out and they this is a, you know, a money making thing for the state. They go out and they serve process. So they'll serve a lawsuit for you. They will go out and they will levy on assets. And so the sheriff was asked to levy on this asset. So the the sheriff's department checked the vehicle title records and saw that the it had clean title, no liens recorded. Remember, Broken Bow State Bank had gotten a note, but they hadn't gotten the security interest at that point in time. So it was clean title. So the sheriff's deputy serves Moninger with the writ of execution on July 7th, 1978. The deputy tells Moninger, I'm executing on your pickup truck and he grabs the truck and states, I execute on the pickup for the county of Custer. Feels very like, I hereby cast out this demon. Yes, from... yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. <So close>. Magic. <laughs> yeah. Big announcement. But the deputy did not take possession of the vehicle. A lot of times um, they will come and they'll tow it away or they'll take the keys or it's a big, a big kind of a thing. You know, physical assets can be taken out by the creditor. But uh, the deputy sheriff said to Moninger, you know, I'm really sorry. Um, I have to execute on this vehicle. It's my job. And he, you know, I hope you can straighten out your problem with the, the credit bureau. And then he wrote up his report afterwards and said that he had executed on the vehicle on July 7th, 1978. So once the writ of execution has been served in this way, or the writ of execution has been performed in this way, there's a return on the writ of execution that goes back to the court so that there's a record that this writ of execution has been met or what, what's happened. So the bank finds out, oh, gosh, our security interest in this truck isn't so good. And so Moninger gets together with the Broken Bow State Bank and executes a security agreement on the pickup truck to secure the May 1978 renewal note and they, the security agreement is July 10th, three days later. Okay, so July 7th, writ of execution is performed. Hocus pocus abracadabra, I execute on the pickup truck for the county of Custer. Boom, poof, it's no longer yours. Three days later, I'm gonna sign this over, I'm gonna give you a lien on my truck. He still had the keys, okay? The bank then did something, perfects the security interest. So what that means to perfect a security interest is that each state has a record of property liens separate from real estate. And so if you, let's say you buy a big piece of equipment, you know, a piece of construction equipment or a, you know, underground generator or something like that, there's a recording in the state government of all the liens that people sign in favor of their creditors. So if you take out a loan, sometimes they'll take out and they call it a UCC. UCC stands for Uniform Commercial Code, 
Uniform Commercial Code is a set of laws that are agreed upon amongst all the 50 states because every state is separate. They don't all have to have the same laws. But the Uniform Commercial Code is a set of laws that has to do primarily with these kinds of loans and security interests and things like that. So the UCC security interest statement is then recorded publicly. So if you're doing what monitor is trying to do and you're taking out this a loan twice on the same stuff, the second person can check the UCC records and say, wait a minute, you already have a lien on your assets. I'm not going to do this because I can't get a lien because you've already got one. Yeah. So they, they perfected it on July 10th of 1978. Then the sheriff comes back on July 13th and actually takes the truck. Aww. Okay. And they sold it at the sheriff's sale on August 14th, 1978 for $2,050. So a little about $10,000, which was more than enough to satisfy the judgment. The judgment, the credit bureau judgment, but not the, not the security interest. Right. So the sheriff not wanting to get sued goes to court and says, I don't know who we're supposed to give the money to. Oh, Okay, so the sheriff files an action in court that says, we got these $2,050 for this truck, but I don't know who I'm supposed to give it to because I got a bank and I got a credit bureau and they're both saying it's their money. So I don't know, judge, you figure it out. This is in the original lawsuit against Moninger. It's a mo like a motion, but basically the, the sheriff files something and says, where does this money go? Just tell me where to put the money because I'm not a judge, I don't know. So the bank said, we're the secured creditor. We're first in time. We have priority because we have a security interest dated July 10th. And you didn't actually get the truck until July 13th. This is like a bureaucratic nightmare of like the utmost, right? Like this is like yeah. everything you'd ever fear in life happening legally. You know, he's having a rough time at the lunch table. It's the uh, loan officer at the Broken Bow State Bank who on May 16th, 1978, didn't do anything. Oh, yeah. It's weird that this is even like Broken Bow v. Moniker because Moniker, really, he just, he lost a truck and that's it. This is Bow v. Bow. Yeah. He's like leaning up this truck to anybody. He's probably down on the corner being like, hey, you want to take a lean on my truck? It's like, sure. He's like just selling the same thing over and over again. So I really hope he bought it for $2,000. Yeah, exactly. Just reselling the same thing over and over again. So the trial court ruled in favor of the bank and not the credit bureau. The, at the hearing on the motion, they said basically that the deputy sheriff knew that there was possibly a lien on July 7th and that the execution was subject to that lien. Um, and the officer didn't take the truck away, just, you know, waved the magic wand and said, I execute on this. And so that valid lien as to the bank was there as of July 7th, 1978, because of the note, he, you know, the, the, the sheriff wasn't on, wasn't necessarily aware that uh, the bank had messed up. Um, they had searched for a lien and had not found one correct. because the bank had not done the security agreement right the, right, the right. bank okay. had, the the broken bow state bank had not recorded the security agreement against the truck and so apparently there was some evidence that the judge heard that said that sheriff was somehow aware of this other loan or this other this potential lien oh interesting i was envisioning like moniker being some sort of like legal evil mastermind and like begging like i've got a sick grandma who has to go to the hospital please don't take the truck for a couple days and then like 
But no, I guess it was complicity. Maybe if, he was if, martyred. Like he has a second truck, exactly the same truck in his garage. Yeah. Like, go ahead, take this truck. Yeah. Yeah, like in the movies, like they make it dirty and then they mm -hmm. like smudge out the license plate. Like it's a totally different truck. Totally yeah, different. Yeah. It um, feels very kind of good old boys law right. too. Like, hey, Moniker, I know they're about to take your truck. You want us to come and take your truck? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like how big can this town be? Yeah. yeah. One bowling alley, one beer, one bar. I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. I do like the idea of a town with one beer and they all just go to the bar <laughs> and they all take their little sips. Very small sips. So the court said that because the sheriff didn't actually take physical possession of the truck until July 12th. And on July 7th, when he waved, when the sheriff waved his hands and said, I hereby execute on this here truck. He knew that there was this other loan out there, but he didn't actually take the truck. And so the sheriff was on notice on behalf of the judgment creditor, the credit bureau. And so because the credit bureau used the sheriff, the credit bureau was then responsible for whatever the sheriff knew. And so the bank's lien was first in time because the bank's lien was recorded or was, was put in the, in the records on July 10th before the levy um, was actually done because it, you know, just waving your hands is enough. You got to cart the truck away. So, so all of this is only a problem because the sheriff did this on the truck, right? If he had said, I'm taking your stamp collection and selling it for 2000, then that would have been no problem gone straight to the credit bureau and the bank would have still had the truck, right? It's just because they're both fighting over this same truck. Right. There are two liens. And the question here is who's first in time, first in right. And the bank is saying we're first in time, first in right, because you, Credit Bureau, knew that we had issued this loan. This loan already existed. You're aware of it. And the sheriff didn't actually get the truck until after we recorded it. And for the Credit Bureau, it didn't have to specifically be the truck, right? They, they were just like, you owe us 1300 we're taking something of value and mm -hmm. the first thing is normally a car or a pig here's a secondary question what is the standard of like diligence for the sheriff like do, or is there anything that they are like required to do to like have met and like and, like dispatch their duty or is it just like whatever they feel like is good under the law that's a good question i don't know the answer on the sheriff's liability my guess is that if the sheriff's actions were an abusive process for example, and they were acting in a way that was totally inconsistent with the law, there could be liability for wrongfully seizing assets. Oh, okay. I see. Okay. I don't know Nebraska law, but my, my sense is that a wrongful seizure of assets is something that can create liability. So I think that's why the sheriff is asking this. Also, they just don't want to be the one making this decision. I'm just so shocked that he was working so close to like 4th of July. I mean, I feel like in the seventies, like it was such a big celebration, like, and to start working on July 7th, like to start, I would think they were still having parades and clean up things, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. just getting, it's like, ah, oh, I gotta get to this truck business, you know, yeah, and exactly. then he heartily did it. He's like, I'm still, still half drunk from 4th of July. Exactly. We're in the two week 4th of July celebration. It's like <laughs> Chinese new year where just the country shut down in the seventies. Yeah. That's exactly right. <laughs> so the credit bureau appealed to the Nebraska Supreme court. All right. And the question that goes to the Nebraska Supreme Court, was the Bureau a lien creditor on July 7th, 1978, when the sheriff levied the writ of execution on the truck by announcing it, but not taking the truck? 
or was the bureau a lien creditor without knowledge of the bank's alleged security interest prior to the perfection of the interest? So in other words, if the execution, this is their backup argument, if the execution, the, the levy on the truck was defective because they didn't actually cart it away on the 7th, but they didn't have actual knowledge of the bank's lien at that time. So they, in good faith, had, they were still, they were still first in time because they didn't know about the other lien. The applicable authority here is from the Uniform Commercial Code. Again, this is the UCC. And the language is, for those of you taking extensive notes, an unperfected security interest. Unperfected means it's not been placed in the public records. There's not been a, 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 you know, a notice of the, the UCC lien. An unperfected security interest is subordinate. All right. And subordinate means it's behind it. So you have lien priority and lien subordination. So the first in time is first in right. Second in time is second in right. So that's the subordinate lien. Is subordinate to the rights of someone who becomes a lien creditor without knowledge of the security interest and before it is perfected. So if the deputy knew nothing about the lien, then therefore, because it had not been perfected yet, it should have been subordinate and it should have gone right to the credit bureau. Correct. If they went, if the, if the, and again, they're using the, what the sheriff knew as the, the agent of the credit bureau saying that whatever the sheriff knew, the credit bureau had to know because the sheriff was acting on behalf of the credit bureau. This is some real wave particle duality. Yes. <laughs> is the cat alive or dead type law? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Schrodinger's truck. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, that's a good one. Schrodinger's truck. Yeah. I have a, I have a bunch of titles, but that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Cool. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. When we come back, it's time for Comedy Court. Here's the story of coronavirus. When the government was clearly unprepared, all of us had heard the You're on mute. Live comedy, the second Saturday of every month at the Pack Theater in Hollywood. Welcome to Comedy Court. We have the honorable or dishonorable Judge Kristen Drenning presiding. We have the case of Credit Bureau of Broken Bow versus Moninger versus Bank of Broken Bow in the years uh, 1978. So we're all getting that disco feeling on. Um, Hello, Broken Bow. I am Judge Drenning. Wow. Sorry. Just excited. Got some rock and roll uh, bona fides. Uh, all right. Uh, I see that we've got two fuddy-duddy financial institutions. Uh, I'm going to hear from um, the Bureau first. 
Thank you very much. Uh, as the credit bureau of Broken Bow, not like those ne'er do wells, those those slackadays over at the uh, <laughs> um, at the bank at the Broken Bow State Bank. We here at the credit state, uh, sorry, the Broken Bow Credit Bureau, we know what we're doing. Okay, now we needed this money for Moniker, and so we asked the sheriff, "Hey, could you get this money for us?" And he did, and he happened to get it from a truck. Hey, he laid hands on the truck with the power of his sheriffdom. He got our money for us. Now, when we collect that money, it doesn't matter, okay? That, it's, you might as well say legal tender of Credit Bureau of Broken Bow right on it. It's like a dollar bill that says Federal Reserve. That's That belongs to the government wherever it goes. That truck belonged to us as soon as he laid hands and did his share of mumbo jumbo on it. So that money really should go to us. Uh, Councillor, can I just ask, uh, do you have any legal precedent to support the notion of laying hands as a form of property? <laughs> um, uh, an interesting question. Uh, well, I, again, would go back to, uh, you know, really the case of the People versus Chris Kringle oh, sure. from uh, the 1934 classic Miracle on 34th Street, where belief the people's belief in it is enough belief in Santa Claus makes Santa Claus real as far as the court is concerned, right? Bags and bags of mail count. Well, belief in those hands, All those right. hands laid upon that truck, I believe count. I am going to, uh, I'm going to uh, squash my own objection to that. And I'll say, and I'll allow, <laughs> and I'll allow that argument to hold uh, bank. Uh, you're on. Uh, yes. Um, I am the bank, B-A-N-K. Everyone from two to 100 knows what a bank is. Um, nobody knows what a credit bureau is. I had to look it up. I, had to, I still don't know if that even exists. So, I mean, I think the it begins and ends with everybody knows what a bank is. Give the bank the money. Nobody knows what this credit bureau is. I mean, come on, this mysterious lay on hands, Ugh, mysterious credit bureau. Hello, bank. Um, <laughs> that is a very compelling argument. Money does belong in a bank. But I have a surprise witness, the sheriff. Uh, I, I'm going to call him in. Just uh, He's an old buddy of mine. I just thought I'd check in. Well, hey, uh, hi sheriff. There, Judge. Uh, well, hi there, Judge. Uh, well, hi there, Judge. Uh, I'm, well, hi there, Judge. What would, like to, what would you like to know? Uh, uh, I just want to know uh, whether at the time of laying hands, you felt the power and passion to compel the car to come to you or uh, whether you knew that it actually belonged to another. Well, uh, one of the things I wanted to testify, but they didn't ask me, was that I did tell the truck to revive. Oh. <laughs> I did tell the truck to revive. And uh, I said, I execute on this pickup for the county of Custer. Now revive and walk. You are healed. Ooh. And uh, the, the truck uh, did not revive. It was not healed and it did not follow me home. Although I, I hoped it might. So I had to come back with a truck. I mean, another, okay. I, I, you know, a tow truck. You know, right, I th think there's a lot of, you know, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. But just let me, I just wanted to, to complete my thought here. And that is that, you know, we get busy in the July season. That is a time in which we do execute on many trucks. That is a, you know, it's a busy truck execution month. Some will call it even a blowout. And well. so getting the, uh, getting the tow truck uh, lined up to tow the trucks is a, is a whole other thing.
And you know, those banks and those credit bureaus and all those judgment creditors, they're like, hey, you know, get out there and execute on the truck. So I just figure, you know, wave the hands, whippity whoppity, whippity whoppity, whippity whoppity, execute, boom. And, uh, you know, get the truck when we get the truck. Uh, I'm here, here at the bank, we're not that busy. Uh, we have off, we're off on Sundays. Uh, we only work till two. Um, and we have July 4th off. So we're not that busy. So we would know when we told you like, Hey, get this car because we have nothing else to do. We're not that busy. We have like 20 people in our bank. Yeah. You had time to, uh, shadily secure that secondary. I, I, I said, I, uh, I know everybody. I know Mrs. Jones, Mr. Jones. I know all of them. There's like 20 people in our bank. Well, I think I've got enough to reach the decision. I think I'm going to roll. Oh, I have one other thing. I'm sorry. I just want one thing. Um, Also, you know, I did also loan John Moniger $15, and he told me I could have his truck for the $15. So I I would also like to interpose my objection that that, um, I should have $15 of the pickup truck because, you know, John Moniger said, he said, well, you know, if you – if you wait four days to take my truck, I'll give you $15. And I, I said, okay, I'll come back in four days. And that's what I did. I came back with the pickup truck because, you know, we were backed up anyway. So so I also would like to interpose an objection and a claim to the... Uh, so you're claiming an intervention. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Duly noted. Uh, I will say this, though. I think that makes it harder for me to think of you as an agent of the Bureau if you're an agent of yourself. A triple agent. Triple Whoa. agent. And uh, did you, Bureau, have something boring to say? Because I'm ready to, uh, to listen oh, to you. Oh, well, I, I don't think it's boring. I think it's very important. Ooh. The bank is claiming that they're more important just based on the fact that people know the bank, but we don't allocate ordinality based on how well you're known. You, you don't become higher in line just because you're more known. If that were true, then every loan would go to the most famous people of 1978, which I'm going to assume are. Elvis Presley and Billy Carter. Look, I would give all the loans to Billy Carter. Monopoly doesn't have a credit bureau. Monopoly has a bank, and you always want to be the banker. But uh, but, order in the court does have pre pre parking. Order in the court. I have made my ruling. The winner in this case uh, is John Moniger, who managed to get double for nothing, and uh, therefore he wins. All money's to him. Triple down. Well, this has been another shocking episode of Comedy Court here with the with an unhinged ruling. I dare say it is an unhinged ruling from Judge Drenning just spitting fire from the bench up here. And um, we're going to first go to the Credit Bureau. Credit Bureau, how do you feel after having lost to John Moninger again? Well, he didn't even show up. We, we originally got the money out of a default judgment because he didn't show up. He didn't show up for this and he still won. So he didn't show up once and lost. He didn't show up once and he won. So you know what? I actually don't feel that bad because I feel like John Moniger not showing up and evening out. John Moniger is sort of like the Ayn Rand John Galt of Broken Bow. You know, who is John Moniger? Where is he? A is A. As a deep cut reference. Yeah. <laughs> Bank of Broken Bow. Uh, this is, uh, I'm the host of Comedy Court, and I just want to see you just lost. Um, how do you feel? I'm not, I'm not defeated. I am the bank. This is just a little small little thing, a small little, small little speck in my history, my long history. USA, USA, USA. 
Well, we gotta love the patriotism. That's one thing for sure. You know, uh, that's one thing we do love on Comedy Court is the patriotism of all of our participants and you, the viewer. So just remember, if you think it's something that could only happen in America, you're probably right. This has been Comedy Court. Stay tuned for a few words from our sponsors. And I assume that's exactly how the real trial went. <laughs> yep. <laughs> that's exactly how it went. Well, um, for those of you who stuck around and want to know how this case was actually decided, um, believe it or not, the case below was reversed. So um, the Nebraska Supreme Court said that when the uh, sheriff had laid his hands on the truck, that that was enough to exercise dominion and that the bank only had an unperfected security interest in the vehicle as of July 7th. The, the, um, the court reasoned that um, the truck was large enough that they did, the sheriff didn't necessarily need to take it with him, that it had been reported and in the court minutes um, as having executed, and in fact, the bank, when they subsequently perfected their security interest, coincidentally, three year, three days later, uh, they did have notice that the truck had been executed on at that point in time. And so for that reason, the, um, the bank did not perfect its security interest until July 10th, when it filed the security agreement entered into on that date. There was no security agreement before that date, just a note. Again, the note and the security agreement are two different pieces of paper. You promise to repay somebody, that's a note, a promissory note. You uh, file a security interest, that's a separate piece of paper. That wasn't signed until the 10th, and that was too late in the view of the court. Well, there you have it. I personally don't think justice was done. I think the laying of hands, it's like, who, who's like, there's no policy incentive for like, like people being like proactive or like timely in their filing doesn't encourage anybody to actually like effectively like execute on these things. It's just like, you can just like touch something or you can like earmark it. And then one day you can get there. Yeah. It it's just been easy. announced, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And especially giving more power to the police to take things more easily generally probably not a good <laughs> not good policy like there's already i know like the policies of just like small town cops like oh we're gonna we're gonna you got a speeding ticket great we're taking your ten thousand dollar car and selling it off yeah. like already funding themselves through that making it easier for them to do that probably not great yeah. But also, yeah, what is this bank doing? Just like, <laughs> yeah, it's fine. We'll we'll deal with it later. Like everybody seems to be not doing great in this. Yeah, nobody's just, doing their job as intended. Just a little too lackadaisical. Yeah, it's like a Coen Brothers movie where there's no winners, but pretty much everybody's a loser. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, um, I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up there. We'll keep this uh, keep this a little bit of a tighter episode. Um, and I wanted to. Before we go, give each of you a chance to do a little shameless self-promotion. Um, why don't we start with uh, Curtis? Where can people find you on the internet, social media, and elsewhere? You can find me on most social media at Actually Curtis, except for Blue Sky, because I'm still waiting for my Blue Sky invite, if anybody has a Blue Sky Blue invite. Sky. It's Blue. like the Twitter replacement because Elon Musk is crazy <laughs> and 
whatever. Um, and yeah, and you can also find me at by Googling Curtis Rutherford, R-E-T-H-E-R-F-O-R-D, because there aren't that many Curtis Rutherfords. There's two others. One is an old man in Texas, and the other was a uh, physicist. Whoa. Perfect. Kristen. I believe I am the only Kristen Drenning in the United States. Don't call, there's Kristen with an I-N, and uh, there's lots of Drennins with no G, but I my last name is an Ellis Island name, so it's made up. And therefore, I am unique. So you can find me on Instagram at, at Kristen Drenning, K-R-I-S-T-E-N-D-R-E-N-N-I-N-G. Um, and it's uh, pretty wild, that, that Instagram of mine. Mm-hmm. And if we go to Austin, Texas, can we see you uh, perform live? I perform every Friday with my uh, troupe Rendezvous at Cold Town. We do a close quarters format. It is excellent. I highly recommend it. I also perform with long-running Austin Staples Stool Pigeon uh, occasionally. I'm uh, one of their re- recurring guests. So next time awesome. is July 6th. Mm-hmm. July 6th, Austin, mm-hmm. Texas. We may not be released by then, but... That's okay. That's all right. When's the next one after July 6th? Excellent question. <laughs> Very good question. Just we don't, we don't Stool Pigeon, that. Austin, Texas. That's right. Google it. Kristen Drenning, D-R-E-N-N-I-N-G. Kathy. Hello. Okay. Um, you can go Kathy Eller on TikTok. And um I I hey, I'm an Oscar winning background actress. What? Yes. Oh. what? Yes. what? I was I was in everything everywhere all at once. If you see electricity hair, that's me. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Congratulations. I did, I did four days on there. So. Wow. <laughs> super cool. Also, the background Oscars, I feel yes. like. They're just like a little they're smaller. Small. They're stickers. They give you stickers. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> no, I would also love that just because at the ceremony, them announcing it, they would still like close up on, you know, whoever. Meryl Streep, but the background actress would still be like behind <laughs> Meryl <laughs> as you're showing <laughs> Reacting. So, I'm Billy DeClerk. You can find me on the internet at www.comedy.lawyer for all things Billy DeClerk oriented that are comedy. Uh, so we have some videos up there, links to my socials where I barely ever post, and I'm at Comedy Lawyer on all the socials. Um, so yeah, check it out. Listen, like, subscribe, do all that stuff. Thank you so much for listening. But the best thing you can do if you've enjoyed this show is please recommend it to a friend because you will practically double our listenership overnight. <laughs> if everybody who's listening recommends to one friend. See how the math works? I'm laser focused on my <laughs> We've mostly had John Doniger listen uh, under seven different accounts. And we really need <laughs> exactly. new people. <laughs> all right. Now that we lost those federalists, especially. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's say goodbye to our guests, uh, to not to our guests and our listeners. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week.